is all right. Terrific. Maybe that might inspire some of the guys to sort of, you know, bring out their talents and let them shine and contribute them for the glory of God. Everybody had a good Easter so far? Yeah, yeah, a few heads nodding out there. Okay, um, two years ago, three years ago, a man by the name of Justin Smith was uh, out drinking with a bunch of friends one night in um, 2016 in Pennsylvania in the USA and uh, that night he technically lost his life. Uh, the group had been drinking fairly heavily and they left their home to walk back to, well left the place where they're drinking to walk back to their homes which is in the middle of winter and Pennsylvania is not a warm place in the middle of winter and uh, this guy Justin Smith just decided to roll over and have a sleep on the side of the road and he was uh, sleeping in a snowdrift. So he was there for 12 hours and they found him unconscious and blue and uh, quite frozen the next morning and uh, they brought him into the hospital. Uh, his, Justin's father came in and uh, saw that his son had no pulse or no blood pressure and uh, Justin's father said, there's no hope. There's no hope. No hope, said the father of Justin Smith. That's exactly where the disciples were after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. They had no hope. Jesus was dead and in the grave. Uh, as far as they were concerned, it was all done and dusted. Whatever was achieved over the last three years was all for nothing. It was a good ride while Jesus was alive, but now he's dead. It's all over. Well, Justin Smith unbelievably did make a full recovery. He lost all his toes and lost a few fingers. The disciples also were about to witness something that would change their lives forever. Not just a day or a week or a month, but forever. Jesus was alive. He had risen from the grave just as he said he would. If you've got your Bibles, uh, go to Second Timothy with me and we're going to read here where Paul talks to Timothy about the risen Jesus Christ as well. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we've died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 
Uh, Father, we thank you that we can come and gather today on Resurrection Sunday. Uh, Lord, we put ourselves somewhat in the same shoes of the disciples 2,000 years ago. Lord, the preceding three days would have been filled with despair, would have been filled with um, deflation, perhaps even depression, Lord. The previous three days, God, would have been filled with discouragement. They would have thought everything that may have been achieved was now gone. But early on that third day, as we've seen in those videos today, the tomb was empty. Jesus rose from the grave. So we pray, Holy Spirit, please, please deepen our hearts today as we think about this resurrection hope. And just as it changed the disciples 2,000 years ago, let us speak that same change into our hearts today, I pray as well, to fill us with an eternal hope, courage and boldness for the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we ask that, we pray that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we live in a world that's clamouring for hope wherever it can find it. It's looking for it all over the place. Sorry, push the wrong button on these sometimes and they go the wrong direction. Uh, mental health numbers have been steadily increasing for uh, this world for over a number of years now. People facing all types of life challenges from many different directions and feeling all the pressures of life on a whole range of fronts. Uh, with these pressures come varying degrees of despair and hopelessness. Uh, and as we try and face the next day in these situations, in this uh, place of despair or hopelessness, we can often feel powerless. We can't see any way forward going into the future. We feel frozen, not knowing which direction we can turn next. It seems to just stop us in our tracks. And this hopelessness also can strike us at any tick of the clock. It's surprising that things can be going on very sweetly at times. Everything's working out well here. Everything's turning over, uh, good over there. And we're feeling on top of things. My job's okay. My relationships are good. And I'm feeling in good health. Then sometimes just one or two things happen. Sometimes the smallest things happen, which don't quite go according to the plan of my life. And it's amazing how quickly just one or two of those things swings the balance of my life to feeling hopeless. It could be easy as hearing this. Maybe the health of one of my parents has taken a sudden turn for the worse. This then, turns, uh, this then flows onto my hopes and dreams and perhaps enjoy my life with my parents as they slow down in life. But now something's happened. Sad news has come in and it's changed everything. And it can bring despair and bring hopelessness. Often there's also a sense of being out of control in this hopeless situation. I've had everything planned out perfectly but something comes out of left field and just changes all those plans out of my control and seems to take all the wind out of my sails when that happens. Well, the gospel of Jesus Christ, particularly the resurrection, speaks directly into our lives at this point. Jesus knows the broken world we live in. He's acquainted with all of our despair. Jesus knows what it is to be isolated and to feel alone in horrible circumstances. Jesus has been there. Jesus feels our rejection. He feels all our grief and all our pain that comes with that. He knows it all. 
Just a few days ago, we reflected deeply on the cross of Jesus Christ. We saw there that Jesus took upon himself all of our human brokenness and sinful responses before a good, just, holy God. We reflected deeply upon that cross and what Christ had done for us. We saw there that Jesus suffered in our place as our substitute. We should have been on the cross. Jesus took our place. Jesus took upon himself all of God's right justice directed towards our sin. Jesus suffered for all of our condemnation and guilt and not his because he had none of his own to suffer for. In the Passion of the Christ, which we'll be talking about this last seven days of Jesus, it's now the third day. And everything, everything is about to change. The course of human history will be changed with earth-shattering consequences because of Jesus Christ. The resurrection changes everything. Jesus is about to rise from the grave indestructible. Indestructible. And from this indestructible life of Jesus Christ, we will receive indestructible hope if we put our faith and our trust in him, this indestructible Jesus Christ. We want to see that today, how it looks in the life of Paul speaking to Timothy and how that resurrection hope speaks into their lives and will speak into our lives just as well. Let's set the scene here in the natural sense for Paul and Timothy uh, as, they, as Paul writes this letter to him. Because really in many respects, the scene back then, even though it was 2,000 years ago, is similar to us. Timothy's pastoring a church in a place called Ephesus. This is a place which has had many, many challenges. Many hope-dashed things have happened in the city of Ephesus. And Paul's initial encouragement here to Timothy uh, is to strengthen him. And we see that there in verse 1, right at the start of our reading. He says, Then you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Timothy, I'm writing to you to strengthen you. I know you're facing despair. And I know you're facing a hopeless situation on many fronts, Timothy. I want you to be strengthened as you go through this. And we think about the city of Ephesus. Paul first visited that place many years beforehand to bring to them the good news of Jesus Christ. And while he was there, it didn't go down so well. There was a city-wide protest that broke out against that message that Paul was bringing to them. We see it in Acts chapter 19. Now verse 23 there says this, About that time, so when Paul's in Ephesus, about that time there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. No little disturbance. It was a big disturbance. And we go on a few verses later in 28. When they heard this, this is the, the Ephesians, when, when they heard about what Paul was bringing the gospel to them, they were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city, getting a big general sense here, the city was filled with confusion and they rushed together into the theatre, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians who were Paul's companions in travel. If you follow that on, it actually goes on to a two-hour shout fest. That's all they shouted for two hours at the top of their voices is, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city was in uproar. The city was in dispute. The city was actually in opposition to the message that Paul was bringing, even though it was the message of truth. 
Ephesus also was a place that was filled with all types of witchcraft. When the gospel came in there and the spirit's power, they were delivered from this bondage that witchcraft and satanic influence had had upon them. So much so was the repentance of that city or that turning away from sin that they burnt, as it were, millions of dollars worth of evil books. You'll read that in Acts there as well. The gospel had come in such power, they, they got all of their witchcraft books, put them in a pile and burnt them. And it says there was millions of dollars worth of books. It was a city that was broken and filled with many, many challenges. It was hard work. And Timothy was a young man who battled against all of these and other opposing influences in Ephesus. And he was feeling weak. He was feeling despairing. He felt powerless amongst them. I'm sure there were some days, or no doubt there were some days, he was absolutely overwhelmed by all this. How could I go back out here and try and lovingly face these people and just share with with them again the gospel? And I'm sure, no doubt, many days, Timothy was feeling really, really hopeless, weakening on that front all the time. Paul himself was in a similar situation, probably worse than where Timothy was. As Paul writes this letter, he's suffering in a jail, chained up as a criminal. In actual fact, the last letter that Paul writes is this letter. He's probably days away from being executed by the Roman Emperor Nero. What for? For simply sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. He writes in this last letter here, if you get towards the end of it, everybody has deserted him. He sits alone in this dark, dingy Roman prison cell. For simply bringing the good news of Jesus Christ to the Roman world, Paul has suffered terribly for the last 30 years of his life. 2 Corinthians 11 is like a, is a bit of a sort of a diary of all the troubles that Paul went through. We can read there, this guy in 2 Corinthians 11, was beaten black and blue on many occasions by people who just disagreed with his views. Five times, Paul received 40 lashes for simply living a Christian life in a world that was hostile towards Jesus. Three times, Paul was shipwrecked, bobbing around in the ocean until somebody actually picked him up and brought him ashore. If ever there was a candidate for feeling hopeless and filled with despair and thinking, what is the use of going on anymore in this? It must have been Paul. It must have been Paul, that he would suffer so much, surely he must have been filled with hopelessness and despair. He tells Timothy here in verse 9, I'm suffering in a prison. He actually calls Timothy to suffer with him, in a sense, for the cause of the gospel. You see, both Paul and Timothy's lives are reflective of our lives. Perhaps not quite as extreme as Paul and Timothy, but maybe some of us have experienced some of those extreme uh, episodes in life. But at the the very least, whatever despair and hopelessness they felt, we too experience in this world in our lives. The world hasn't changed over 2,000 years. It's still filled with many things that bring challenge and despair into our lives. We read in the... um, saw in the news this week, which was just horrifying. A man goes out to feed his pet deer and the deer turns on him and gores him to death. They've had that deer for six years, raised by hand feeding. Is that not a hopeless situation with pain and despair? How does anybody pick up the pieces from that? 
That's the world we still live in. We still live in this world that is like that. But here's the amazing thing. As you read here of Paul with Timothy, you don't get a sense of hopelessness, do you? You don't get a sense of despair here as you read, as, as Paul's writing to Timothy. You really get the present difficulties they face. They're being real about that. They're not saying, no, I'm just living a bubbly old life. They're saying, no, I'm in real-time trouble. But there's a hope here. There's a sense of we're not despairing. We're not hopeless. That actually drives Paul on, even in the present difficulties, despite how challenged they might be. We could ask ourselves, what is this hope here that drives these guys on, like Paul, like Timothy? Suffering in a prison, chained there like a criminal, he tells us. Well, verse 8 gives us this hope that drives him on. It says this in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. You can just about hear Paul saying this to Timothy. Timothy, remember this. Timothy, recall this to your mind. Timothy, bring this back to your thinking. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ. Remember he's risen from the dead. Timothy, did you hear what I said? Remember Christ Jesus. He's risen from the dead. Now, I don't believe Timothy had forgotten about Jesus Christ because he was often speaking about Jesus. But due to our weakened minds, we do sometimes forget the reality of some things that, and what they mean for us. So Paul brings this world-changing truth into the forefront of Timothy's mind once again. Bring this back to your focus. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Timothy, doesn't that change everything? Timothy, doesn't that make everything worthwhile now? Timothy, doesn't that make all of our hardship and all of our difficulty now meaningful? Why does the resurrection of Jesus Christ change everything? Why does it change everything? How can we travel through this world like Paul, like Timothy, go through those hardships, go through those challenges, experience real-time pain, and it changes everything? It changes everything. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proves to us that he is the Son of God. He is the Son of God. Jesus, while he was on earth, said a number of times to his disciples, During his three years of ministry, he said to them, I will die and I will rise three years later. Here's one uh, instance in Luke chapter 9. And he says this, And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and rulers and be killed and on the third day be raised. He said that three times at least that we can see recorded in the Gospels, but they didn't seem to get it. It just seemed to just go right past them. I'm sure they got it later on. But he said, this is what's going to happen. Paul writes this for us in Romans chapter 1, after those events take place. He says this, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, 
which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. Get this, verse 4, look at it carefully with me. And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul writes very long sentences, doesn't he? You know why? He was overflowing with this truth and he just couldn't stop to take a breath to put a comma there or a a full stop. He just wanted to speak it out. You see, what had happened was Paul began to connect the dots. He began to put all this together. When he began to see what Jesus had said and then what he had done, Paul connected these dots. He saw Jesus firsthand as a living witness, the risen Christ. He spoke with him and saw him. Paul knew his Bible really well. All the predictions made of God, of God's appointed Messiah in the Old Testament, all came true in Jesus Christ, in Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus is the Son of God, and he's come to rescue us and to save us from our sins. He's come to reconcile us and bring us back to our Creator, back into relationship with him, no longer cut off or estranged, But together, the resurrection of Jesus Christ declares this and proves this. Who else could do that? Who else has done that? No one except Jesus Christ. No other human in history has said and done what Jesus has said and done. What does this do? This gives me hope. This gives me hope. When I live in this world and I experience the troubles that naturally come from this world or I experience the troubles that come from following Jesus in this world because Jesus has risen and proved to be the Son of God, I can keep following him because he's true, because his word will not fail, because he has died on my behalf and risen from my behalf. Paul says, Timothy, remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead. Jesus also said this about his resurrection. He said this to his friend Martha. Jesus said to her, that is Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Isn't that staggering? Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Jesus promises that if we believe in him, that is, believe that he is the Son of God, that he came to die in our place, taking away all of our sin by bearing that for us on the cross, that if we turn from trusting in ourselves and now put our faith or our trust in Jesus Christ, We will receive the gift of eternal life, never to die. And how's that been achieved for us? By the resurrection. That is indestructible hope from an indestructible Jesus Christ. That is glorious hope, never to die. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Timothy, remember when life is really hard and despairing and you feel like giving up, 
when you receive knockback after knockback, you go back into Ephesus one more time to lovingly share Jesus with them and they reject it again and you feel like all hope is gone. Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Remember the indestructible hope he gives to us, Timothy, that not even death can take that hope away. All it really is, is the doorway into new hope, to fulfilled hope. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, we can see that God is faithful. In verse 8, with Jesus' name there attached to the Messiah and the reference to the offspring of David, that he is, that is significant for us. God promised that the coming Messiah would be from the line of David. The Messiah would be the greater David, who would be the eternal king. For the Jewish people of that day, when they saw that line, that would speak volumes to them. may not have quite had the same significance for us today, but they knew exactly what Paul was talking about when he wrote that. We can still see it there in the Old Testament, because all of God's promises that he made are faithful and true and are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So that means God's promise to unite us with himself for eternity can also be trusted as well. He's faithful and true. He brought through Christ and he became that resurrection. So what does Paul say to Timothy? Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. Timothy, despite what your eyes see in the current circumstances that are around you at the moment, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, God is faithful. God keeps his promises. God can be trusted. He will not let us down even in our darkest days. Remember that, Timothy. The resurrection of Jesus Christ brings indestructible hope into hopeless situations. The indestructible Jesus Christ changes everything. Hope-filled life then, how does it look? How do we move forward into this hope-filled life that the resurrection gives to us? Well, Paul gives Timothy here some very short direct instructions for resurrected, hope-filled life here in verses 3 to 6. He actually tells Timothy, hey, this is how we move in life. Verse 3 there it says, Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Let's be clear here, Timothy. Hope-filled life in this broken world will have its share of suffering. The resurrection does not make us now immune to suffering and challenges. Don't be surprised by this, Timothy. Go through it like a soldier. Understand there's a battle ahead, there's a challenge ahead, there's a fight ahead. Be like a soldier and be willing to go through suffering. Verse 4. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Timothy, we're enlisted under a new king. We have a new ruler. So yes, we live in this world, but we don't allow this world to distract us. We don't allow ourselves to be absolutely caught up in everything this world throws at us, so it takes our eyes off the main game. Timothy, keep your eyes on the main game. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Don't let this world pull you into its web of deceit and distraction. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Timothy, we need to follow Jesus. 
He has set us commands on how to carry out this work. He's put life before us. He's put instructions and rules in place. And just like an athlete must follow the rules of the competition, so too do we follow what Jesus has told us to do. And what happens at the end? We receive the reward of eternal life that he's given to us. He goes on, verse 6. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Timothy, don't think that this Christian living and gospel work will be an easy thing. Don't think it will be a red carpet ride. Don't think the roses will be just laid out in front of you. You can just sort of enjoy a tiptoe through the tulips. In this world, to live for Christ and to let the gospel shine will have its share of difficulty. It will be hard work, Timothy. We will need to be like a farmer and work hard. There'll be some days we don't feel like going out there and doing some things. But a farmer can't say that because it's the time of the year when the crops got to go in or it's the time of the year when the water's got to go on the, uh, the paddocks or it's the time of the year when the hay's got to be pressed. The farmer can't say, well, I'll just come back in a month's time. Timothy, be like a hardworking farmer and apply ourselves in that way. With this indestructible hope of the resurrected Jesus inside of us, we will be able to carry this on, Timothy. This is how we live. He's also telling Timothy this. There's a lot at stake here, Timothy. There's a lot at stake here. People's eternal souls are on the line here with this hope. Let's not be confused about that, Timothy, as we think about today. Look how Paul finishes here for us in verses 9 and 10. He says there, For which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Timothy, this hope-filled life doesn't keep the hope to ourselves. It doesn't keep it all trapped up inside of us. Paul encourages us in the very same way that he does here with Timothy. This hope is so glorious and life-changing, we've got to tell others about it. We've discovered this eternal hope. Paul says, I will endure anything. I will endure anything. I will go through whatever lengths it takes so that others can see and hear about Jesus Christ and the resurrected hope that he brings. I'll go through anything, Timothy. I'm willing to suffer in prison if that's what it takes to see the gospel go out. Paul says, I know the power of the gospel. Even if I'm chained up here in prison... The gospel is not chained up. The gospel is unbound. It can go out and it can touch and change lives. It can break those chains of bondage upon people as they embrace the truth of the gospel and allow that truth of the resurrected Jesus Christ come in. This is the same mission that we are here on at Exchange in the Greater Shepherding Community. We have that same resurrected hope if you're following Christ and trusting in him. We are like Paul, or should be like Paul, who should be willing to endure anything, to go through anything, to go to whatever lengths are required, so that others will come to know Jesus Christ, the resurrected hope. Because we want others to share in this eternal, indestructible hope. It's the most treasured possession that we can pass on to anybody. I have four beautiful children. There's only one thing I want for them. I want the gospel in their lives. 
I want them to see Jesus Christ risen from the dead. For them to grab that hope and let it transfix their hearts. It is the most priceless thing that we can pass on. Paul's seen this. He says, I will endure anything. Why? Timothy, remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead. How will you respond today with this offer of hope? What will you do with Jesus and his offer of salvation? This offer of indestructible hope. When Jesus was crucified, three days prior to this, he was placed between two convicted criminals on Calvary's hill. Let's pick up the story in Luke 23. As Jesus and these guys are crucified together, and we see the two different responses here to Jesus from these two criminals. It says in verse 39, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, as in abused him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man, as in Jesus, has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus replies to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. You see, we've got to see this. All of humanity is represented by those two criminals. It's not a very glowing positive reference today, but that's what it is. We are represented by those two criminals. All of us in some way, without exception, without exception, haven't lived up to God's ways. We've all fallen short of glorifying Him as supreme. If we're honest, that's who we are. We're one of those two criminals. But look at the responses here of those two guys. The first one, obviously unbeliever, and is mocking Jesus. Oh, get me off the cross, Jesus. I just want to go back to my old life and get back into the life of crime again. Just get me off the cross. Just not taking it in in any sort of deep sense at all. Just letting it bounce off. The other guy, the other criminal, pushes back against him. He says, hey, 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 hey. We are justly here. We deserve this. We are criminals. But Jesus shouldn't be here. He's done nothing wrong. He's innocent. See, that guy's recognized who Jesus is. He's seen who the living Christ is. He's recognized Jesus as king, even though he's on a cross nailed right alongside him. And in an expression of faith in his dying moments, he calls out for Jesus to save him. And Jesus responds, you'll be with me today in paradise. That criminal, that guilty person, just experienced the cleansing flow of Jesus Christ right there and then in that instant. He had no way of doing anything with his life because he was about to die perhaps only hours later. So what will you do? Will you walk away from Jesus again like that first criminal? Just, you know, help me fix up my life now, Lord Jesus? Or maybe not even Lord Jesus, just help me fix up my life now? 
not really taking in the enormity of what's taken place with Jesus Christ? Or will you reach out like the second person, the second criminal, and put your trust in Jesus Christ for the salvation that he gives and receive that indestructible hope that he gives? Timothy, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. My friends, this is the only true and real hope that will carry anybody into, through this world and into the next world. Let's pray.